Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. We're going to turn our attention now to social media and messaging platforms because they have come under the spotlight in the wake of the riots in Dublin on Thursday of last week. There has been a lot of talk around the moderation of these platforms for quite a while, separate entirely to uh, that incident in the capital city. But there is now talk of more severe legislation, I suppose, that would allow Gardaí to have access to social media accounts. But is it possible and realistic to assume that they could get access to services that are end-to-end encrypted? There is so much to talk through here and I'm delighted to say that Stephen O'Leary of Alitico is with me once again. Uh, Stephen, I want to start by, I suppose, not being a negator, but... I was taken aback at the surprise expressed by some people at the messages that were highlighted around the time of the riots because I have seen horrific content on social media platforms here in Ireland, posted by users here in Ireland for quite a while now. Were you surprised about the reaction and the conversations that have been had over the last few days? Not surprised, um, but also not really surprised by what we saw online last Thursday. And I think maybe before we talk maybe about the role of the different networks uh, and what they did, I think a really important distinction that feels like it's been lost a little bit in the conversation is the difference between a social network and a messaging app. Because I think historically we've thought about social networks as these places where you go to broadcast uh, essentially and send your information as far and wide as you can. And messaging apps are much more kind of these individual or close knit groups. But WhatsApp, Telegraph and other messaging services have kind of changed the game there a little bit in that your groups now can run to hundreds or thousands or in some cases tens of thousands of people. And they operate in a very different way because there have understandably been questions asked in the aftermath about why weren't you listening more carefully? Could you not see what was happening online in the minutes and hours uh, and even days after last Thursday? But I think what's been missed a little bit is that a lot of that conversation actually took place in in messaging groups as well, as opposed to just publicly um, on social networks. Yeah, and that is a fair point. As you correctly say, you know, not all of this is happening on open platforms. A lot of it does happen on services that are end-to-end encryption. I suppose that leads us to the question, you know, should Meta or Telegram or any service offering an end-to-end solution, should they be deploying machine learning technology or AI technology to identify, flag and shut down conversations where... Uh, incitement to hatred is happening or there are threats of violence and so on. So this is where the difference is between the the public and the private, right? Because in a way you can't offer end-to-end encryption as a messaging service and then make exceptions in certain cases because there is a public interest. It's, it's, It's so gray and it will be so difficult to police that an awful lot of the trust that messaging services in particular build is the fact that the the content is encrypted and you can send messages without fear of other people seeing their contents. Now, the downside is obviously it means that it's a means of communication um, for those who want to riot or 
or carry out any of the other things that we saw um, last Thursday evening in Dublin. The social side obviously is different. And without question, you know, there are steps that can be taken to monitor public networks really effectively. And both those in a law enforcement setting and others have got access to specialist software that is really good. And if correctly set up and correctly um, primed for kind of alerts and things like that can be a really effective way of uncovering kind of moments that are beginning to pick up and go viral where people are talking about, for example, a location or a time or a gathering. Um, and also what you increasingly see is that what starts out on a private network, so what gets shared in a, a WhatsApp group or a Telegram group, et cetera, gets screenshotted, it gets recorded, and that then gets shared on social networks. So, I mean, without question, the networks and monitoring the networks effectively can be a really um, good way of an early warning system to notify those um, in charge, no, no matter their role, of what's potentially about to happen or what may happen in the near future. Yeah, I uh, I don't mind telling you, I left Twitter about three weeks ago because some of the messages I was getting, and these are personal like DM messages that were coming into me, were horrific. And there were other accounts that were, they, they appeared to be anonymous accounts, just mentioning me in really hateful, horrible, horrific tweets that were purely designed to harass, intimidate and upset. And unfortunately they did. And I do not have any faith in the X system, formerly Twitter system, to protect me as an individual user. I've reported content that was far less severe than some of the stuff I've received recently and nothing happened. So I, as an individual, have lost faith in the system. Can we, as a country, trust that X will take action to remove and prevent those who are spouting hate or inciting violence on the platform? Each network, I suppose, kind of is behaving and reacting in, in a different way uh, to this. And I think what you'll have seen kind of fairly widely reported over the last week is that that different networks took different um, approaches last Thursday. Some were very proactive, um, worked closely with the Guardi and others to ensure that, you know, I guess kind of disinformation, misinformation was minimized and the spread of that was minimized in as much as is possible, whereas other networks did very little. Um, and I think... The question around X is an interesting one, and I'm not sure if the events of last Thursday have made me reconsider uh, my usage of the network or my, my presence on it. I do think that it probably reinforces the impact of what, and I know we've talked about it before, but what was a relatively subtle user experience change in the last couple of years where X moved from serving you the content from those you follow by default to serving you a, what they call a for you feed instead, this kind of algorithm-based feed of content that it thinks you might be interested in. And 
while the change is very small and very subtle, it's it's kind of in some ways had a fairly profound impact on how users experience the network. Because for any of your your users who are listening who maybe who have an account and maybe have seen this change and have kind of gone, why has my 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 network on X or my network on Twitter suddenly become so corrosive? You know, why has it gotten so dark? Why is there so much of this information? Switching between those two tabs is almost like a before and after Mm-mm. because the for you tab is designed to give you content that it thinks you will engage with, but that's not necessarily good content. It's often highly divisive. It's often from accounts that you would never follow um, from accounts who you don't want to see content from, but for better or worse, when you, when you see it, it stops you, you are affected by it. Sometimes it leads people to share it because they want to share how much they disagree with the sentiment of what they've just read. But unfortunately, that act of sharing just simply amplifies the reach for the content in the first place. So I still see, and it's the nature of our job, because we listen to what people share publicly on social networks, not just X, and increasingly it's across a much broader range of networks now. But even on X, we see so much of the good we see so much of the things that are positive, but you have to seek them out. And unfortunately, if you land on the For You page at the start, increasingly the experience you get is not a positive one. You are served divisive information, misinformation, content essentially that brings you no value. And I'm not surprised to hear your your anecdote and your, your own personal experience of saying, I'm just getting off the network. Um, because you know I would encourage anybody who found themselves in a situation where they were being targeted or harassed or their experience was affecting their mental health or any of those things, no social network is worth it uh, for those kind of um, those kind of outputs. Yeah. And look, as I said, this like my decision to leave the platform happened uh, a few weeks ago now. But I suppose when I look at what Elon Musk is putting out into the world on his own platform and when I look at the platform that he's giving people like Tucker Carlson, it is worrying and it's just not a ship that I personally want to be on board anymore. Yeah. And as I say, you're you're by no means alone. Um, I mean, you know, many again of your listeners probably heard Musk's comments in relation to advertisers this week. Um, and it was probably a fairly stark reminder that when an individual has the type of independent wealth that Musk now has, he can afford essentially to run a social network like X without really needing to have the worries and concerns about advertising that maybe other social networks do. And I think that's probably one of the reasons we're seeing the type of content that we now see on X, um, the lack of moderation, certainly, that we now see on the platform the type of voices that are being platformed there and being given essentially relatively free reign without any kind of risk um, of kind of being removed or sanctioned or cautioned or muted or throttled or any of the other steps that other networks will take to try and um, police or moderate or control what happens on, on the networks. The reality is that when a private company owns a social network, they do, for better or worse, have a huge amount of control over how they run it and what they allow and what they don't allow. But advertising, because it's such a major revenue generator and the brands that advertise 
can actually have quite a big impact. And we see that quite often. Advertisers who say, well, we're not going to advertise on that social network if you continue to allow hate speech being platformed. Are you allow this type of misinformation or disinformation to be platformed? And, and that, in most cases, is effective. I think what we're possibly seeing for the first time here is a situation where that threat or that action doesn't seem to be having the effect that it was hoped for on a platform like X. And certainly, as I say, the comments that Musk made at the New York Times event this week would suggest that he really just doesn't care uh, and isn't worried if advertisers leave. Yeah, and look, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't care less about his bottom line or his business model or his revenue streams and all the rest. But one thing I am uh, curious about, and I'd love to know your opinion, we know that the EU Digital Services Act is coming into play. I mentioned at the top the talk of the legislation here in Ireland that would uh, tackle some of this in theory. But do you envisage Elon Musk and those working at X cooperating with authorities to the same extent that may have happened, you know, 15, 16, 17 months ago, um, as the company did previously. Do you see that happening? And, you know, do you believe that he will want to cooperate to make the platform a safer place? Or is he more focused on that free speech argument? It's really hard to know. Um, You know, it it depends. I mean, a a lot of things that we would have predicted over the last 12 to 18 months in terms of how we would expect a platform like X to work are things that we felt maybe would happen, haven't happened. So trying to anticipate whether or not the network will become compliant um, is is really, really hard to, to judge. It's also, I guess, probably going to come down to how it can be policed and what actions will be taken. You know, we have seen in other circumstances, certain social networks say, well, we just won't operate in a certain jurisdiction. So we won't make our service available in the EU, or we won't make it available in a certain country, or we won't make a certain type of content available in certain countries because of local laws and our inability or the fact that we don't want to comply with those laws. So, you know, is it possible to imagine a situation where the platform becomes inaccessible at a European level? It's absolutely plausible. Um, Do I think we would be worse off without these social networks? Well, fundamentally, I believe we do. Now, I have an absolute bias here, right? My day job and the whole kind of cornerstone of Politico as a business is listening to what the public share on social networks. So not only is it what we do, but also we see the power it can have. So we see, and and I say that very carefully, the positive power it can have. You know, the ability for organizations to understand things like common problems, common complaints, requests, things people want changed, the worries and concerns people have, the things people like, et cetera. You know, we see and have done over 15 years now what it's like when organizations and businesses take that information and go and affect change. So I'd be really sad if we ended up in a situation where because there isn't good misinformation or disinformation controls or there's a lack of moderation that social networks fail to exist. And I, in truth, I I kind of find it very hard to imagine that it could get to that point. Because I think in a way, what's more likely is that X becomes some form of outlier 
that it becomes a different type of network. And, you know, what we saw with Threads was their ability to spin up, get 100 million users in a very short space of time. That would suggest to me that waiting in the wings is a service provider who's willing to provide that X type of experience, but in a much more moderated uh, setting and one where things like European law and legislation will be respected and viewed um, and implemented and followed. So uh, I think the future of X is and has been for quite a while now uncertain, but I think the future of social networks are thing. I I still feel it's something that will will continue into the future. Yeah, look, I do hope that they continue on. I've had a great benefit from social media myself, personally speaking, from a career point of view. It's been a very useful tool. Um, And I know a lot of people who get a lot of entertainment and engagement and just fun from it. So I do hope they last, but I do hope that there's some manners put on them. And I suppose when we look towards 2024, do you think that will be the year where that happens, where maybe the platforms and those running them might mature a little bit and fully take on the responsibility and the role that they play in society? Yeah, yeah, I'm incredibly optimistic. Now, I'm optimistic by nature, um, which again is kind of the qualifier here. But like I think back to the Arab Spring, I think back to these moments in, you know, the relatively short history that social networks have are certainly the ones that we know well now. I mean, for the most part, you're talking about an industry that's existed for less than 20 years. And there have been incredibly positive moments along the way. Um, you know, you think about the network and the positive uh, network effect that Facebook has had in terms of keeping people who otherwise maybe wouldn't communicate with each other or would feel much more isolated in their communities and, and kind of brings them together. And while there's been a generational shift there, I certainly know if you took a straw poll of a certain generation in Ireland, maybe that grandparent generation, for example, Facebook plays this really important role in their lives in a way that maybe a lot of younger listeners either don't appreciate or can't imagine. So over time, I've kind of, I've seen that. And I think, you know, more broadly, there's been obviously, you know, if we, if we step outside of social media, it's been an incredibly interesting year for technology and nowhere more so than, than probably the area of AI. And I guess what ChatGPT has really brought with it is this kind of eye opener for a wider public about just what that might potentially mean. And while it's scary and worrying and there's a huge amount of unknown, the potential here is incredible. And I think what excites me most at the moment, certainly as an entrepreneur, is seeing the conversion from ideas that people have into actual new businesses, new services, things that make our lives that little bit better, that reduce that tiny manual task that we used to do repetitively. Those improvements seem to have become incredibly democratized over the last 12 months. And the barrier maybe that was once there about being a software engineer or being a coder, that is slowly being kind of chipped away at. And I think if I look forward to 2024, the thing that excites me most is seeing what we're going to build. Like what new things are going to emerge in the next 12 months that people simply couldn't have built without, you know, expertise, technical knowledge in the past. And, and that I think is, is what I'm yeah, most excited about. All right, Stephen O'Leary of Alitico, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me here on Newstalk. Thanks, Jess.